Welcome to the Ravenhill Podcast, the podcast where we talk things all relating to craft beer and outdoor adventures. As always, my name is Pete, and it's official, folks. We are back. After taking a break for nearly a year, we are back on the air, and we are ready to pick things up exactly where we left them off. But before we do dive in and introduce our first guest, we do need to address uh, an elephant in the room. And I just wanted to take a quick opportunity to explain why we haven't recorded an episode in well over a year now. But the truth is that there isn't really a huge reason, in all honesty. Uh, Myself and Mark have just been really busy and preoccupied with work and uh, with Ravenhill Brewery. Now, we will be recording a catch-up episode with um, Ravenhill founder Mark over the next few weeks. And we'll find out a little bit more as to what he's been up to with the brewery and uh, what's been happening over the past year. But yeah, he's been really busy brewing, I've been really busy with my full-time job in marketing, and um, yeah, unfortunately we did neglect uh, the podcast and put it on the back burner, so sorry about that. But um, after speaking to Mark about it recently, we both really wanted to get the podcast back up and running again, mainly so we could continue to share some of the amazing stories from our ambassadors, our suppliers, and most importantly, our fellow adventurers. And we've got some amazing guests lined up over the next couple of weeks more on that later on but uh, for now it is time to introduce our first guest back on the podcast you may know her from her instagram account emily ghost in merseywood she has been part of the ravenhill family now for just over a year now she is the climber of peaks and the purveyor of pints and i have the absolute pleasure of welcoming her to the ravenhill podcast so ladies and gentlemen it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Emily Jeffers to the podcast. Emily, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Honestly, thank you so much for joining me today. I generally couldn't think of a better person to help me kick things off again with the podcast. Emily, I'm not going to lie, it's been a long time since we last recorded an episode of the podcast, <laughs> so please excuse me if I'm feeling a bit rusty this evening. But uh, Emily, for those who may be unfamiliar as to who you are, I was wondering if you could just uh, please kick things off by ten- telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so my name is Emily, as you've already introduced. Um, I'm originally from Nova Scotia, which is the easternmost part of Canada. I'm currently based just north of Liverpool in a little village called Southport. You may have heard of it. Mm. Um, and in my day to day, I am a content web editor for an architectural membership organization. Oh, nice. So lots of graphics, editing videos, creating web pages. Um, checking people's grammar, that kind of all that fun stuff. That sounds quite similar to my role. Like I, I, I work in digital marketing for a, for a media production company. So yeah, I do a lot of like web copy, uh, video yes. production, even recording podcasts like this. So uh, <laughs> say, yeah. yeah, whilst we've not recorded an episode of the Raven Hill podcast uh, like for nearly a year now, I've sort of been s- still doing stuff like this at work. So it makes quite a nice change to not be talking about media production for change. So there <laughs> a much we go. more fun subject. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. It's good to be talking about beer again. But uh, funnily enough, I was listening to um, some of the some of the earlier episodes. Uh, we, we recorded five episodes last year of the Ravenhill podcast, and I was desperately trying to remember like what we used to talk about, how we used to format the show. But one thing I did remember is that we used to always kick things off by having a drink. So Emily. Uh, as we used to do, and as we will continue to do, my first question to you this evening is, what are you drinking? Well, as it is the Ravenhill podcast, obviously I've got a nice stash constantly on the go. It's, it's, and... Mark, it's Mark been uh, keep, keeping you... Well-stocked, as always. Well-stocked, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so I've been on the uh, the canopy coach, um, which is my favorite, I think, so oh, far. Amazing. The ones that have come out this year in my nice little Nova Scotia pint glass. Oh, nice. As well. Yeah, so. apologies to uh, people listening to the uh, the audio version of this podcast, but uh, but yeah, it is a very jazzy glass, I must say. <laughs> so uh, nice, nice and late. It's kind of sunny outside, so you can kind of pretend, you know, we're starting to get back into the summer. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's probably worth noting that we're recording this on a, on a Friday evening. We've both just clocked off from work. It is officially the weekend. So yeah, I couldn't think of a, a better excuse to crack open a cold one right now. So Emily, uh, whilst we're on the topic of beers, um, I was checking out your Instagram profile um earlier this evening and i can immediately see that you are clearly uh, a craft beer enthusiast but uh, i was wondering if you could uh, please tell us a little bit more about your love of craft beer and maybe what some of your favorite beers are sure i mean i'm obviously coming from a country that may or may not be known around the world for lots of beer especially craft beer um amongst other things i think in the uk though in particular i've noticed that there's not actually as much amber red ales which is my go-to back Mm. home so I've been kind of like constantly seeking those out where I can um my favorite so far that I've come across the hawkshead red oh yes I think it's probably the closest to what I'd find find back home so that's quite nice on lighter days so like when it's sunny outside obviously something a bit more refreshing so I usually go for like Korov um which I discovered on our last trip down to Cornwall and obviously it's in the shops everywhere here but I just kind of had never really clocked it until I was down there and just kind of saw it everywhere so that was a good good discovery yeah it's a good beer yeah and great great that you can get it like so readily available like in the supermarkets yeah Yeah, it's nice seeing it more and then you'll laugh you'll laugh at this one um back in my undergrad in Canada I don't know why but for some reason uh, Newcastle Brown Ale ended up being like this weird, there was a weird trendy moment where it just was like the thing to drink, strangely, really? which is very bizarre. Obviously, you don't really think of it in that so, sense here. So that that was across in Canada, you say? Yeah, yeah, they had it, but it was like the cool, like hipster beer, maybe because it wow. was like an export. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. I was not expecting that. Like, you, <laughs> you, all, you, you would offense. definitely not get that like with the with undergrad students, like not even in Newcastle. No. Like. no, exactly. Yeah. So ironically, I ended up when I went to Durham University, which is obviously near Newcastle, and mm. nights out Newcastle, be like, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to need a brown ale. I've got to go to the source. This is perfect. And everyone's kind of like, are you, you 70 old man in a working club? Like, that's a very interesting choice. But yeah, I think every, you know, time to time, I just kind of have that like nostalgia kick and I will get, I will pick up a bottle or if I see it around, I'll uh, lean towards it. Yeah, because I mean, we do, I mean, I suppose we do by default talk a lot more about, I say probably more the uh, the craft like beer industry more mm-hmm. so. But I mean, are you quite a big fan of like the more traditional real ale like kind of beers? Yeah, yeah, I can, um, I mean, I've never really met many beers I don't like to be honest <laughs> as long as they're not watered down good answer good um, answer yeah i think um i do this is a weird weird old man one as well i do love a tetley's if i'm not really feeling a full guinness I yeah will, i will lean towards a tetley's so i was i was chatting to this one about this in in in, in my local uh recently uh like both like big craft beer geeks but we're sort of like saying like you know you can't always guarantee like what if you're meeting up if you're at like a wedding or you're mm-hmm. going to like a, a bar in town from the beers that you like would like commonly like expect to see so things like guinness things like uh tetley's old speckled mm-hmm. hen or peculiar things like that what what is the best of all of those and we'll we'll sort of we'll debate in it and i my my, my contender is that uh, i do love a guinness yeah 
you can't go wrong with the Guinness. Yeah, you kind of know what you're going to expect of the Guinness, and I, I think there are definitely far worse like contenders out there, like compared mm-hmm. to Guinness. But I mean, I mean, I'm going to throw that question to you. Would- well, I would, yeah, I'd say Guinness probably is the most reliable, but it's also one of those ones where I definitely can't have as many as I used to. It's still Just, super heavy. It sits. It does sit, doesn't it? Pure yeah. calories, but it definitely. <laughs> It definitely sits. But you say, it's funny you mentioned Speckled Hen because um, last year I was kind of venturing into this like gluten-free, not out of necessity, but just kind of, you know, to see if it was nice or not. So I did a lot of like research into the gluten-free beer and taste testing. Obviously, anytime I saw one on a menu, I'd order it. And the Speckled Hen gluten-free beer actually really surprised me. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a while uh, since it's I've had good. one. But yeah, that's it. Like sometimes you go such a long time without like trying like something like that and then you go back it's like, oh god, like why have I neglected like putting yeah, like, having this fine. beer? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Oh, but no, that's, that's, that's fantastic. So, I mean, you've met, you mentioned a couple of breweries there um, with sort of the beers in your previous answer but um, would you say that they're like some of your favourite breweries as well or are there any other breweries in the UK you kind of want to give a, a shout out to? Um, yeah, so I've mentioned Hawkshead um, tends mm. to be kind of the one that I enjoy. Their gluten-free beer is also quite good. The lager that they've got would recommend. <laughs> Location, I think, of the brewery, that one really makes the difference and that's why we always kind of like go back to it. In terms of others, I do, I've been following the Queer Brewing, which I think they're based out of Manchester. Um, mm. They do a lot of collabs with different groups, but I just really am a big fan of kind of that social justice side and all the work they're doing for the LGBTQ community. Definitely. Um, the designs are nice as well. And then designs as well, I think Top Rope, which are local to Liverpool. Oh, right. Okay. They, they've got a, they've just got the can design down really well. Um, <laughs> and they have lots of mad, they always do mad flavors. So I picked up the other day a, it was like a maple pecan one meant to be like a canadian themed beer so obviously not to be biased but there is kind of this trend of like i don't know canadian is trendy right now you see it pop up in restaurants and whatnot so there's kind of this like emergence anything maple syrup flavor is obviously canadian um yeah that that, that is definitely an ingredient i see in a lot in like particularly in like pastry salts and like in like in like yeah like maple syrup is always like a is a flavor profile but um the one you just mentioned there like obviously being from canada like you, your benchmark must have been pretty high for it so like <laughs> yeah. w- w- was it was it a pretty good beer it's still sitting in the cupboard i'm waiting for a nice like ah. stormy day for it but i will <laughs> let you know how it goes yeah please yeah you have to get it out on instagram uh, let us know how it goes and um, so i mean you mentioned before obviously uh, about the canadian craft beer scene and being completely honest my knowledge on uh, canadian craft beer and beer in general is pretty minimal i think there's probably only maybe uh, two or three uh, Canadian breweries I can think off the top of my head uh, it's uh, Bandit Brewery in I think they're based in Ontario I think so uh, yeah. there's Halo and then there's Cabin Brewery I think as I say those are the only three I can sort of think of off the top of my head and I may even be wrong there but uh, I was wondering it is renowned as like an amazing like brewing scene so uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, the Canadian craft beer scene and are there any beers or breweries which you would sort of recommend like looking out for? So the thing that's unique I think about Canadian the Canadian beer scene generally is that it's very province territory specific so Mm. there's regulations and restrictions around how far-reaching your craft brewery can be exported and that was I think I mean don't quote me but I think there was some sort of like you got a bit of a tax break if you were creating your beer locally so Mm. while that kind of is frustrating for somebody who wants to maybe tick off a box list of like every Canadian beer ever it's fun in the sense that you are going to go to every single province and always get something different 
and unique to that local area. So it's kind of just like a fun little adventure of when you go to Ontario or you go to Nova Scotia, you're always going to have like something new and there's always ones popping up. Because you mentioned about how it, it, there's almost like rules and regulations like in, in Canada. And I know it's very similar in America. Like the only reason I know this is because... Um, when I was studying my master's, I was sort of looking into like the marketing of like craft beer. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that like I found really interesting is that in Canada and in the in the US, like they actually do have an actual definition as to what classifies the term craft beer. And I think one factor which applied both to Canada and to the US is sort of like comes down to the uh, the quantity in which they brew. Um, but it's it's interesting to like hear that it's almost quite ter- territorial as as well yeah. in Canada as well. Yeah, it just kind of keeps things local, which is nice in some respects. Um, mm. But then obviously it's a bit difficult if you have been to one place, you absolutely love that beer, and then you're not going to be able to get it in your shop back home. Um, so make sure you stock up while you're there. <laughs> I love the I, I love the idea that there would be people like checking your bags like you do when you come yeah. into customers. Well, you like, are allowed to carry them over, uh, but well, they're not go. allowed to sell them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, love the idea of people smuggling craft beer over the border, over, it's like between yeah. counties. <laughs> yeah, the unchecked border, exactly. Exactly. I mean, um, you do you do get some larger ones. So I grew up just outside of Halifax, and there's a brewery called Alexander Keith's. Um, he was actually the mayor of the city, while also a brewer. So good for him; he had his priorities in check. Um, but his his beers kind of they're like I would say he's the trying to think of an equivalent here something that's more widely available you can get it in other provinces hmm. um Sorry. so when went we went home for christmas um uh, first time i've been home since well before covid and mm. we we landed um got put into hotel quarantine because we got randomly selected to do a test oh, no. um stuck there for a few days and then we're finally given the all clear allowed out first thing we did went to the first bar we saw walked in <laughs> good and priorities they happened and they had alexander keith's red which is harder to come by on tap and i was just like this is my homecoming in terms of it's just been years since i've had this uh, and it's not even that good but it just like for me the, the, yeah i like how your priorities say it was like i can finally leave the hotel i can go see my family oh no no i'm gonna go get a drink first just gotta do what you gotta do so it was amazing good, it was a nice recurrence but yeah we've got lots of i mean every little town and village kind of has like a growing pop-up brewery um the one local to me is called Lightbox Brewery. Sorry, mm. Saltbox and Lightbox. They've got kind of two different ones. Mm. Um, and actually, weirdly enough, my um, my interest in beer is longstanding for my parents. And my mom won a competition with them last summer um, to make her own beer. Oh, so her, she's Yeah, so she's a school teacher. And a group of them got together and submitted this beer idea. Um, it was a porter and it was based off of Nanaimo bar, which is like a Canadian dessert. So it's coconut, chocolate, custardy kind of flavor. It's lovely. It's very that rich. That sounds amazing. Um, so she, they put together this idea, uh, ended up winning the competition. And then the other week their beer was put into production. So they've got it on tap in the local bars and then they've got it in cans as well. So oh, that is so cool. I'm so, looking so, forward so, to... so it wasn't just like a, a, a one-off, they actually put it in cans. Yeah. That, that is so yeah. cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to trying one. We get it home in the summer. So, Emily, we, we've we've been chatting a lot about craft beer, and uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of people who are listening who are also interested in all the uh, all the hiking, all the adventures you do. So, I was wondering if you could uh, kick things off by telling us how you got into this hobby. Like, have you have you always been into exploring, even when you were crossing Canada? Yeah. So, along with the uh, interest in beer, my parents have also always kind of 
instilled upon us like the value of nature and going mm. outside and i think growing up in a rural area um not in a city by any means that kind of helps so there's always just like you know hiking camping sailing fishing all those kind of things um yeah you, you might then... you might you might have to paint us a picture like is it like whenever i think of canada and i've, I've got a friend who, yeah. who who emigrates across to canada a couple of years back i think they're based in uh uh is it is it penetang uh, i think it's like it's based in simcoe uh, county I oh think. yeah so in ontario yeah yeah that's yeah near near ontario um, yeah, yeah and he whenever like he sends like photos it's like what i imagine is like a very stereotypical like uh envision of like canada so like just incredibly like rural like just beautiful forests i think they live next to a lake and just like every photo even like ones where they're just like they've just been taken like on his mobile phone they just like look picture perfect and like look amazing so yeah lots of rivers and lakes and trees um lots of mosquitoes though to kind of balance it out so (laughs) yeah i'm sorry but northern northern scotland midges have nothing on mosquitoes you can't go out after five o'clock without like a gallon of bug spray on it's oh wow but you just kind of become immune to them when i'm here now and i'm in scotland the midges don't even bother me and i think it's just because i've built up some sort of like resistance to them. yeah yeah so obviously i think that kind of helped instill that interest in it um and then when i moved over to the uk having access to a lot more like cultural history museums um traveling to europe on the weekend things like that i kind mm. of dropped off on prioritizing the outdoor stuff just because it was new and exciting to have access to all of those things Um, and it really wasn't until lockdown early 2020 that I kind of when it was literally the only thing that you could do thought Mm. you know what let's get back into this Um, and my husband as well he grew up same deal Um, his family is very into camping and hiking and all of that stuff so it was just kind of a natural re-entry into it which is nice yeah it's it's amazing because I mean well I mean got the first lockdown and it was like like well over two years ago now and that it was around that time that I like really got into I was I was similar to you like I I was very fortunate to sort of grow up with a family who like loved the outdoors love nature so I do have memories of uh, going out and hiking like as a family but more so recently it's probably since we went into lockdown and we were told by Boris that we weren't allowed to leave the house and as soon as there was that opportunity to you know get out again I was like yeah "Yeah, I'm gonna make the most of this and it's sort of like being like during that period and chatting to a few people who I've met uh, in the process like through Instagram and like through hiking groups it sounds like a lot of people like they sort of fell into hiking through that 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 way as well so yeah I'm sure there's a lot of people who can who can relate to that so speaking of like we may have some people who are listening now we used to get this quite a lot with uh, the first five episodes sometimes we'd have people on say like uh, our fellow ambassadors Christian Quick and uh, Chloe Langthorpe, who were both uh, keen runners. Chloe was more of a road runner, and uh, Christian was more of a trail runner. But we we did generally get some people like uh, sending questions as like, oh, how can we get into it? This sounds really interesting. Uh, so we may have some people listening now who are like really keen on uh, embracing the hiking or like the uh, the adventure lifestyle. So I suppose my next question to you is, um, what advice would you give to anybody who may be interested in getting into hiking as a hobby? Um, I'd say the number one thing is don't be worried about being in shape before starting don't use that as like an excuse of like I need to get to the gym I need to be at a certain level before I start actually going just kind of start small give yourself time don't worry about taking breaks I know we frequently you know we'll invite friends to go on a hike in the lakes or wherever and they'll always say like oh you know what I can't possibly do that big hill I'm just gonna go to the gym a few times first and honestly like as someone who goes to the gym someone who's done bigger hills before I still complain for the first hour (laughs) about getting up that initial bit you know what I mean there's not 
You're never going to be in this like peak level of fitness. Like you're still going to enjoy it regardless. Yeah, Um, It's about obviously within reason, you know, don't cause a heart attack. Um, But I don't think that should be a marker of, you know, this, you can't start hiking until you're at a certain fitness level because it's Mm. just never going to happen. I don't think. Um, and it shouldn't put you off trying. It's okay to take breaks. It's okay to be huffing and puffing. You get to the top and it's worth it. Definitely. I, could, I, could, I couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, that's it. Like I, after being in lockdown, probably in the most unfit shape of my life. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I just yeah. made these, I thought, right, screw it. I'm going to go to the Peak District because I can. And uh, like, don't get me wrong. Like the first time I tried to climb up uh, Mantor, like I tried to like take a break like every five minutes or so. But at the end of the day, like it's the most leisurely like uh, hobby you can have. Like mm-hmm. no one's there with a stopwatch, like trying to encourage you to get up there as quickly as possible. No, you just sort of go as, you know, at your own pace and just enjoy it. You know, taking yeah. this, taking the scenery, you know. Are there any other bits of advice that you would uh, recommend and uh, for anybody interested in getting into hiking? I think I would, I say, you know, don't worry too much about preparing your fitness level, but I would definitely advocate for making sure that you're prepared in a, it sounds extreme, but in a survival scenario. And I don't mm. know if that's just like my, the ex-army dad that I grew up with, kind of like always being prepared. Yeah. Uh, but I'm definitely that person that, you know, it's a four hour hike and I will be lugging a bag full of enough things to survive the night just because... <laughs> And it does, it does frustrate and scare me a little bit when you get to play, you get to the top of Snowden and you see people with like absolutely zero equipment and it just kind of, it's a bit, or like they're in trainers and it's about to rain. And I mean, we've all, we've all been in bad, I've definitely been in scenarios where I kind of, you know, I probably for safety's sake shouldn't have been out that day. You know, it's too windy, it's too rainy. Mm. But if I roll my ankle, I know that I have enough stuff in my bag to keep me in one place and keep me in good, good shape. But... Yeah, definitely. It's 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 funny that you mentioned Snowdonia there because I think it was uh it was it was my dad. I think he was telling me. I think he'd read like an article that was like published like like in the news or on the BBC, and uh, they were talking exactly about that. I think they were using Snowdonia as an example, but the amount of uh, and it was, it was probably as a result of um of like the UK lockdown and people not being able to travel abroad, mm-hmm. obviously with restrictions etc. So a lot of people like doing staycations and going to like some of these amazing like places. You know, highly recommend people to go check them out, but. The article was all like drawing emphasis to the fact that people were really underestimating, you know, just how unprepared people were. Like, as you say, people exactly, going up yeah. in flip flops and like, you know, just like wearing shorts at the top of Snowdonia. I think this was like right at the start of the year or like it drew. Oh like, no, it's so not even time. warm at that point. Yeah. yeah exactly. Just like and oh. it was it was it was amazing just like to like see how unprepared. But it, mm-hmm. depending on what kind of hike you're doing, but especially if you are thinking of doing something a bit more uphill and like in an area like Snowdonia. Yeah, and seasonally, yeah. Definitely. I think, as we all know uk weather turns in a second so it can be the nicest day out and it doesn't matter and you don't have to sorry you don't have to really even invest massive amounts of money you know i've i bought i'm a size three so i bought a kid's pair of hiking boots like the high-tech ones i think i paid 40 quid for them um and they've they've lasted me multiple seasons they've only just started to wear a little bit you know you don't need to be spending like hundreds and hundreds of pounds on high-tech equipment to still be making a good you know conscious safe decision in your outfit choices yeah definitely and i think i think yeah that's that's a really good point because it is so affordable like you can get some really good like hiking equipment depending on your budget and uh yeah like even the entry level stuff is really going to be 
much much better than say you know just going out in your nike trainers or yeah you know just going out in a pair of tracky bottoms or something like that so uh so yeah um you mentioned before about um to going out with your rucksack and uh, making sure you're packed and prepared if you don't mind me asking what sort of things do you usually take out with you yeah i mean regardless of the chance of precipitation i will 100 percent always have a waterproof coat in my bag doesn't need to be anything fancy um it just protects against wind and stuff as well it's mm. saved my butt a few times um and then i am the like first aid kit little emergency blanket those things are really easy because they're really light mm. um so they don't take up any space they're only a couple of quid and as well i mean it depends on people's preferences and knowledge and i would probably recommend if you're able to to go out with somebody that has the experience in map reading mm. um and I know that maps aren't always the most accurate. There have been many times where you've walked on what you thought was a bridleway and then there's just a farmer's wall that they've mm-hmm. just built across it. It happens. But generally speaking, if you can have access to maps, I mean, we've got, I think the Ordnance Survey maps, like what, 20 pounds for the year to have on your phone. Yes. Um, and yeah. you can save things offline. Like it's definitely worth having for safety's sake. But then also it's just kind of nice to track keep track of where you've been and then obviously you can kind of pass that information on to other people of what to avoid what routes work best and just a nice sharing opportunity yeah. i think yeah it, it's, it's great that you've mentioned the the os uh, app there because like if i if i was to like rank you know my favorite bits of kits and like things that i would recommend to anybody else that would probably be easily if not at the top like in the top five uh, because um yeah you're right it's 20 pound for like a, a year's membership or i think mm-hmm. you, you get a reduced rate if you commit to more than one year mm-hmm. but uh but yeah just it's like there are just so many hikes in there which you can access uh that, that's that's an interesting question actually like do you do you when you're using that app do you tend to like go by routes that have been predetermined and made by other people or do you sort of go out and you because i know you can create your own uh, routes and trails through there so do you follow do you follow other people or do you, do you make your own routes um a bit of both i think it depends on the area and if there's you know if there's certain areas that are really well uh, mapped out in terms of what's very clearly a bridal way versus just kind of like a little footpath we can usually confidently um follow along the feature where it tells you that you're off the route is definitely my mm. best friend and has saved me a few times yeah, um so. but yeah if it's an area that i don't really know very well and i can't really like envision what it's going to look like i will sort of rely on what other people have scouted out because they can kind of tell you more accurately especially if it's been recent um what does and doesn't work definitely and uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was in the, the Moors uh, last weekend and I was following a route that had been, I think it was one of these routes that was uh, pre-mapped out by, oh, it was it was a publication, I think it might have been like Trail Magazine or something like mm. that. Uh, so like, you kind of, when you're following something like that, you kind of hope that it's one that's going to be great and it's going to be safe. But I think it, like maybe about three quarters of the way around, um, I encountered like, a river which should not have been there <laughs> just a lot of rain yeah literally <laughs> like and and as you said before like yeah just like you, you the weather conditions i think it, we'd had a particularly wet week and it just sort of like just caused this just this natural flowing river just in front of me so i ended up having to like wade my way through water which was not great <laughs> lovely so- yeah soggy boots and soggy socks for the rest of the hike but uh but yeah i think it's just a case of you do just have to be prepared for the unexpected sometimes and yeah yeah like if you are ever in a scenario like that you do sort of need to like use your intuition and like yeah be safe about it exactly don't be risky 
Definitely. So, Emily, you mentioned before that uh, you're based near Liverpool in the northwest part of the UK. Obviously, really close to some incredible landscapes and national parks like the Lake District and I suppose even North Yorkshire is not too far. Um, So, what would you say are some of your favourite areas to explore in the northwest of England? Yeah, Merseyside, we're definitely very lucky in being kind of centrally located within two hours, give or take, to the lakes, peaks north wales um mm. i think we find ourselves most often kind of ending up back in the north wales ogwen valley just because there's so much variety of routes um and then obviously the lakes just based on views you can't really beat them especially on a yeah. nice nice sunny day where you can see for you know you can see miles to the coast it's really it's really nice yeah i must admit i think that's probably one of the things that I mean, I, I love living in the northeast of England, in in Hull, but, uh, like, I mean, I've got the walls on my doorstep, I'm not too far from North York Moors, and, mm. uh, like, the Peak District isn't too far, but the problem is, is that the lakes are pretty far away from yeah, me. I've, I've only, yeah, I've only been uh, once recently, and that was for, funny enough, that was for the uh, the Trail Pursuit running event that which we oh, were yeah, talking yeah, about in a, in a previous episode. Yeah, that was an amazing day, that was such a good, like, day out. Um, but uh, yeah, I must admit the, uh, the the Lake District is top of my to visit list like later on this year, and I'm hoping that you know once the weather does get nicer and nicer, and we do get into the spring and summer time, that will be like one of the first places I'm going to go visit. Um, are there any uh, areas in the uh, in the Lake Districts that you'd recommend? Um, I do love Buttermere and around Cockermouth. I think just because because it's in that upper corner, you tend to kind of lose the tourist heavy um saturation that you can tend to get you know around keswick and places like that and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that obviously it's nice because it means there's lots of really good pubs and restaurants to go, go visit um but i think sometimes you know your best hiking season is obviously the summer when you've got the most sunlight and that just also happens to be tourist season so it's kind of trying to find that that balance and i think buttermere is nice because it's not as busy it's harder to get to but it's worth it's worth that little extra drive just for a bit of peace and quiet, I think. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, one thing I do see quite a lot, and I don't know if, if you see this as well um, on Instagram, but I always see people uh, ticking off the, uh, the Wainwrights in the Lake District as well. Like, yes. Have, have you sort of like kept a list of all the ones that you tackled and all the ones you've got left to do? Yeah, we've got actually, um, my husband got gifted a book last year of to kind of log all of the different ones. So we've neglected it a little bit. Um, but we did need to update the book, but... I'm hoping event eventually we'll get we'll get through all of them. Oh, there yeah, we go. How, how many have you done so far? If you don't mind me asking, um, I think we're up to thirty plus. Oh, now. that's good. It's kind of nice because obviously you can kind of within particularly how you plan your walk, you can obviously take off four or five in one go, so that really helps. Yeah, and I, I'm struggling to remember off the top of my head. But is it, it? It's over two hundred, isn't it? The the amount of Wainwrights. So yeah. Is it two two hundred fourteen? I don't know so, why that. I don't know what classifies as a Wainwright. To be honest. Yeah, same. It's just I've, something. I've, it's just in the book. That's all. Yeah, I know. I'm guessing as long as there's a trick point, someone then, will tell then you're us. happy. If, if, yeah. there's a tri- if there's a trick point for you to pose <laughs> next to at the end, then it's all yeah. worth it. It's, if you can it's... plank on it, you're good. <laughs> Is, is is that what you do uh, in no, photos? No, I don't have the ab core strength for that. Yeah. If I can jump on top of it and sit on it, I will sit on it. But that's the most I, you're gonna get out of me. Yeah, I've I've tried doing that before. Like I've seen people like uh, to be fair, people like Brendan can jump over them. Yeah. yeah, literally. And I mean, I even tried to just stand upright, and like I've I'm 
too big to like literally like struggle like especially especially like because it's so windy like once you do get yeah, to, like, exactly. the top of the peak like the amount of yeah. times where i've like tried to and i'm like uh you've overcome this massive feat of climbing this hill and then the final challenge that's just a bit too hard a little bit up yeah. on the track. <laughs> yeah so that was um the the obviously the the northwest of uh, england but obviously being from canada as well like are there any areas in there which you would highly recommend for people who are thinking of getting across there and uh, and exploring the area I mean, the obvious answer is obviously the Rockies. Um, oh, God, yeah. Which is just kind of a whole different level. And I think you've really got to... That's one of those ones where I say start small. If you're not prepared, don't go do the Rockies as your first adventure. I think that would be a bit too much. Uh, <laughs> it's, the scale is just unreal. Because I suppose if, you were, if you're going to compare, like, say, something like the, the Wainwrights in the Lake District to the Rockies, I mean, are they literally on a completely... Not even close. Yeah. yeah. I was, was yeah, going to yeah. say, on another, another level, but I was like, pun intended. Mm. <laughs> yeah, literally they are. Yeah. yeah but, well, um, like, very different then. Yeah. Prepare, prepare for those ones, I would say. Next summer, we're hoping to hike around Grosmorne, which is in Labrador, so it's east coast Ooh. of Canada. But it's kind of a really unique landscape because it's very like Scandinavian fjord looking. And it was actually where um, when the Vikings came over to North America, you know, long pre-Columbus, they set up a village there. So I think they obviously felt at home in that kind of look. Yeah, I definitely would recommend having a peek at that if you're ever on that side of Canada. Yeah, because uh, Canada's been on my to visit. Like I mentioned a friend before, like uh, he moved across there. I think he, he moved across. It was the it was the November, literally before we went into like before COVID kicked off. Excellent timing. So, yeah, like really good timing, like in the grand scheme of things. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I mean, in in the build up to that, like he gets us. I was like, oh, you definitely have to come visit. Like in a couple of months, like once I've settled, and then we went into a global pandemic. Um, so yeah, it's it's still definitely on my on my to visit list to get across and visit him and his wife and uh, their newborn. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, be definitely heading across there hopefully over the next year or two. But, uh, and but then yeah. to try all the beer, obviously, of uh, course, be really yeah. not to. Yeah, and Ontario actually, I know we talk about kind of Canadian craft beer culture, but it's unknown I think globally that Canada also has a really big wine culture as well we've got a lot of wineries especially in ontario um so if you do ever see a bottle of canadian wine obviously pick that up it's definitely worth it um Mm. same with rye whiskey as well as kind of a unique canadian thing so we've got lots on we've got lots on the market i just think it doesn't always get the not to be biased, it doesn't get the praise it deserves. I don't <laughs> think in the, the drink. No, department. definitely. I mean, that's that's really that's really interesting to know. I mean, I must admit that um, I'm a fan of whiskey. Um, like, I'll always like my my drink of choice will always be like a nice beer, like mm-hmm. over everything else. Um, wine again, it's probably like I don't mind a glass of wine every now and then, but again, it's probably not up there with what I'd go to. But I did go to um, Dijon in France a couple of years ago. Again, mm. it was, I think it was maybe the January before we all went into into lockdown, and like Dijon like is renowned as wine country in a country which is renowned for wine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was fantastic. It was really interesting to like learn about like how like the the, the different varieties and like the kind of tasting notes that you start going to like so like completely zero experience in like on the wine side of things. Uh, are you a big wine drinker yourself? It's kind of like beer. I've never really found one that I didn't like. Oh, right, <laughs> Which I'm okay. is very uncultured. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know if I have the palate to say yes. This is better than better than anything else um 
Yeah, I do. I do like a wine. Yeah, it's 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 why I would never like call myself like a critique of beer because I'm I'm the same as you. Like I'm like I like that one. I like that one. Yeah, I like that one. I I can't. It can't be too harsh. No, I will. I will stray away from you know certain. There's certain certain types of like IPAs. I'm not really a massive fan of. But mm. if someone gave me a pint of that, I'm not gonna turn it down so yeah it's it's very rare that my score on untats will like or my my review on a beer on untats will go below like three. <laughs> yeah. like it sort of ranges between three and four and a half so there we go yeah. it's to sort of yeah. expand my 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 range of reviewing beers but there we go yeah it's a very narrow narrow scale so emily um obviously now that we are kind of back to some form of normality again what are your plans uh for the, for the rest of the year do you have any like treks in the uk or across in canada you say you're heading back to see your family later on this year do you have any adventures planned yeah hopefully going back in the summer um there's a couple of hiking routes back in Nova Scotia that we planned to do over Christmas and then it snowed unsurprisingly so those didn't happen um so looking forward to getting a chance to go to those do some more camping in the UK I think we big ones coming up will be talks of a Raven Hill three peaks challenge oh yeah which you'll have to start start preparing for in some capacity um, and then my parents are visiting in the autumn, um, so I think we're going to go up and do the Trossachs in Scotland oh, as well, It's just yeah, kind yeah. of a favourite. Amazing. Oh, that all sounds amazing. It's, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the Raven Hill uh, trip there, so this is something that we've started planning just uh, fairly recently uh, with, with the Ambassadors and Mark. Uh, I think our plan is to like go do the, the Yorkshire Free Peaks at some point later on this year. It's fairly central for, for all of us, for where we're based, so yeah, it'll be great to get everyone back together and uh, yeah, do a challenge together. Fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, the last, yeah, the, I think the last the last time uh, some of us all got together was uh, in North Yorkshire, wasn't it? On what I could only describe as the wettest day ever. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you said before that you're always well prepared, and I mean, I wasn't that day. Like, <laughs> I had my layers. Yeah, I, I I brought a waterproof, but like I didn't have any waterproof trousers or anything like that. So yeah, just like yeah, you were rocking you were rocking the skinny jeans, weren't you? I thought that was a very I was, yeah. brave choice. <laughs> I was quite I, impressed actually I, at the resilience. Yeah, this was this was only oh, it was before Christmas. It was before wasn't Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, November. I've learned a lot since then. So <laughs> there we go. Gonna Definitely. be much more prepared next time. But there <laughs> you want to like peel them off at the end of the day from all oh, the rain. That, that that it just felt yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> there was a good day out though it was, what, was, it was great yeah it was so good to see yeah because christian was there mark was there um and uh i know uh, you met up with a few more of the ambassadors um was it was it was that last year as well was that the year the year previous yeah in september josh yeah so in september we did a camping trip um again to buttermere and mm. did the round the high street i think it was and then did a camping overnight and that was yeah, lots of fun. And, and our resident resident mascot, Oscar the dog, was there as well, Christian's dog. Course, so yeah, good old Oscar. Hopefully he'll <laughs> come along for some other adventures. Definitely. Oh wait, Christian or Oscar? Both, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Oscar. <laughs> there we go, Christian. We're, we're not leaving you out there, man. <laughs> cool. So, um, well, Emily, um, that's fantastic. Like, so, thank you so much uh, for, for joining me on the podcast today. It's been absolutely fantastic having you back here on as our first guest. It's time to plug your socials. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and your hiking adventures? Um, my hiking and beer drinking adventures are contained to Instagram. Um, so it's Emily Goes to Merseywood, which at the time I thought was a very clever, clever Liverpool reference. Hopefully somebody gets it. I don't know if they will. Um, please let me know if it makes sense. But hopefully I'm looking forward to connecting with some new people. So yeah, definitely come my way Def- and I'll say hello. Wonderful. Um, but uh, Emily, thank you again so much for coming on the show today. We'll definitely have you back on again really, really soon with the rest of the Ravenhill crew. 
As always, a big, big thank you to all of our listeners for sticking around for another episode. I promise the next one won't take over 12 months to come out. <laughs> we will get more out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've got um, Josh uh, joining us uh, for our next episode. But uh, Emily, thank you again so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, look forward to having you back. Yeah, thank you. Can't wait. But until next time, I've been Pete. And I've been Emily. And this has been the Ravenhill Podcast. See you next time.